gotta claim it. A note about this episode. At the time that Ethan and I got together to discuss Irene Kitching's story, there were several recordings that we were unable to find. By the time I edited the episode together, I had found some of those recordings. So at several points in this episode, you'll hear us say, and no recording exists, or you can't even find that recording now. And then you will hear the recording that we were just talking about not existing. Today, my guest is Ethan Fillion, and we are going to be talking about Irene Kitchings, also known as Irene Eadie, <laughs> also known as Irene Wilson. Did I miss one? Also, Irene Armstrong yeah. is what she was born, born as. Right? Yes. So, Mother Spring, I've tried to love. Now I still cling to faded blossoms. Fresh when worn, left crushed and torn. Like the love of fair moon. Some other spring, when twilight falls, will the night spring another to me? Not your kind, but let me find it's not true that love is blind. So she was a real challenge to research. There's hardly anything written about her, but we managed, we found, we found some info after a lot of digging. <laughs> we started talking about Irene Kitchings because we played music together and I brought in some Kitchings tunes. Yeah, you brought in a couple of Kitchings tunes and I think I was only familiar with maybe one of her tunes before, but it's been fun to hear the other ones. And kind of check out her style and there obviously aren't a lot of tunes it seems like she didn't write tunes until she was older and then didn't write tunes for very long either yeah her career was incredibly short-lived for a lot of different reasons. yeah or like her composing career especially it seems like her performance career is like sort of long it's just early and yeah. then done yeah it's a really bizarre kind of unique life story, I think. Let's dive right into it. She was born in 1908 in... She was born in Marietta, Ohio, and then while she was an infant, she moved, moved to Muncie. Moved to Muncie, and then to and, Detroit. Yes. And like, it seems like her mom played some music. Right. And she, like, in one of the few interviews, talks about just, like, she remembers just playing piano before kindergarten, I guess. Mm-hmm. It seems like it was just kind of part of her life. Yeah. And then she was good enough to, like, start playing at church even before she was 13 years old. Yeah, so that is what I think is super bizarre. I know we're going to get into some of the interviews with her. Uh, I just don't really understand her life story as a kid. It seems like she was playing gigs on piano when she was a teenager. Like, she tells stories of who was it that had to, like, chaperone her to her first job. But there's somebody, like, you know, she's, like, 12 going to play a gig somewhere. And that's just, like, everybody, I guess, in the interview was like, yeah, cool. Like, I guess we won't ask you any more about that. It's just, it's kind of, like, she was just clearly very gifted. And also, she moves to Chicago before she's 18 to just play music. Also, like, clearly very motivated. Just a, She seems like a very unique person. I think it's kind of a shame we never get interviews with her asking, like, can you just tell me what you were thinking at age 17? 
moving to a new city to play music as a 17-year-old black woman in the 1930s. That's just like, that seems kind of wild for a person to do. Instead, we get like a lot of questions about just like, who were you playing with at the time? How did you meet Teddy Wilson? And things like that. Totally. It's too bad. Yeah, it sounds like she in Detroit, she started playing and playing mm-hmm. gigs. From the sound of it, because everything was run by the mob then, if you were connected with the mob... You were cool. You were good. Yeah, so I think it sounded to me like she got connected with the mob in Detroit, mm-hmm. and I don't think they had any problem sending a 17-year-old to yeah. Chicago right. to play in their clubs there. Yeah. Yeah, and she references like everything was run by the syndicate with Capone, so it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, she got to Chicago and was had a great gig at the Vogue, mm-hmm. and they gave her a three-bedroom apartment. Yeah. Just like a mob-run apartment. She invited her sister to live with her, and then a little while after they lived there, they noticed in the garage that they were storing sugar for the beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just like, that's a pretty amazing thing to experience, I assume, at age 18 or whatever. Yeah, totally. Um... And you're right, They in the interview, there's like no follow-up to anything. It's just like, okay, keep talking. Yeah, I do think there's this tendency to kind of glorify, in some ways, this era of like, oh, the mob is running it in these clubs, everybody's out, it's such like a, a scene. And as a result, I think we don't get a lot of actual conversations in interviews from this time about, yeah, just can you just like talk about what your days were like? Yeah. It's more like, who are you playing with and how are they connected to the mob? Because we're so interested in the mob. Right. But this is just like a very fascinating life, obviously, for an 18-year-old to be in a three-bedroom apartment so she can play music and like she gets to choose often the people she's playing with. It seems yeah. like she's the band leader on like most of the stuff. Yeah, in the article in here, there's like a photo of her with her band. Right. Yeah, and she talks in there about, and then I hired these people, because I heard the violinist she played with, I forget her name that's in there, she's like, yeah, she was okay, and I thought she could be pretty good, so I hired her. You know, it's like, she was like, I'll take a chance on this person. That's an extraordinary amount of agency for kind of any young person to have in this era, and yeah, for a woman, it's kind of, like, unimaginable, and I just, like, wonder what she thought about it, and... We just, like, don't know. Totally. 
Yeah, it's almost refreshing that they didn't focus on that aspect of, like, mm -hmm. you were a woman at this time, because I feel like you could ask weird questions yeah. that they would never ask. But some of them are, like, worth asking. Yeah, exactly. Like, how many other female band leaders? I mean... Exactly. Lil was running bands right. then. I think maybe it wasn't that uncommon. I think also because there were so many clubs in Chicago yeah. at the time, there was music everywhere Right. that maybe it wasn't that weird. Yeah, and if it wasn't that weird, like, that's really interesting, and I wish we had more information about that. Yeah. Uh, who were the other female band leaders, totally. you know, because they obviously didn't make it into most of the history books, but if it wasn't uncommon, then, yeah, what, what happened? Did they also have a similar story to her, where she gets married and her mother-in-law is like, that's not really the thing that you're supposed to do as a wife, and so she stops playing music, or... Did clubs, once they got, once there were fewer clubs, did it just kind of uh, regress to mostly male-dominated leaders? Like, I, I don't know. I'd like to know. I wonder a little bit if it's anything, I kept thinking about Lil's story with this because she mm -hmm. was in Chicago at about yeah. the same time and everything. And, I mean, we were just at a talk that was a great talk and the speakers were all wonderful for uh, the Jazz Institute. Mm -hmm. But they talked about Lil and they did what kind of every article or almost every article mm -hmm. does, and they like glossed over this whole part of her life mm -hmm. after Louis, and they were like, yeah, then the music just dried up, and it was like, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. She was touring after that. Right. She played her whole life. She played a ton of gigs, but people mm -hmm. didn't interview her when she wasn't involved with Louis, and then when they did interview her, all they wanted to talk about was mm -hmm. her involvement with Louis. So I, I kind of wonder how much of it was like, Tell me about the time that you were together with Teddy Wilson. Yeah. And then, yeah, you know. I think that's what it is. Yeah, and with, I mean, with both of them, well, and I think this is more true of Lil, because Lil was, like, a really great player. Mm -hmm. We assume Irene Kitchings was, but, like, I don't have any evidence of it. Right, Other no than recordings. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess the evidence is, well, she was leading a lot of bands, so she must have been really good. At but, the very least, she was well-liked. Yeah, that's true. All of the yeah. stories in there, I was like, someone just paid your electricity bill because they heard you needed it? Like, yeah. You were well-liked. Yeah, that's... Actually, that's really true. But I think, like, what what makes somebody relevant as an artist to, like, the national consciousness varies a lot, right? Sure. And the challenge for somebody like Lil Armstrong is you married one of the foremost geniuses of this music ever, and... Also, media coverage is sexist. So, like, you put two th those things together, like, the media loses interest in you, which sucks. And if you're not, like, a visionary in other ways, you're just, like, a really good musician, that extra, like, thing to talk about is unfortunately just that relationship. But as a result, there's this tendency to, to dismiss everything that happens that's not tied to that, right? Right. It's like, no, she had, like, a great career afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's not one of the... 50 most important piano careers or but like it's still a great career and it's also still super impressive to begin with that she was even able to do that afterwards absolutely and that sort of is its own thing that should be talked about i think right yeah i they lost me at the point where they kind of glossed over oh yeah and she went to france for a little while and i was like she yeah, went to, to france and <laughs> toured with Sidney bechet and yeah. zuddy singleton that's, yeah that's not a small thing like, no yeah. That was a significant part of her life. And then she came back and, like, did a whole... Anyway. 
Yeah, well, I think that's that's like a, I guess a problem that's I think kind of built into the way we do most history, but definitely music history, right? It's like this artist represents this era. Okay, what? And then once that era is sort of done, like the swing era, then we're on to the, whoever defines the next era, right? right? But those people kept performing. Totally. And we don't talk about it anymore. And there's a part of that that makes sense, right? You're like, well, if they're mostly doing the same thing, then it makes sense that we're more focused on whoever is coming in and doing kind of the new thing. Uh, but there is something lost in the, like, these long careers of people who are like, yeah, I know that, like, swing is not dominating downbeat or any of the national coverage. Like, we're having a conversation about if bebop is ruining jazz because it's less danceable. But, like, it's kind of interesting that these people just kept touring. Right. Um, and especially in Europe. And because there's no, like, musical thing to talk about, really, of those, you're like, ah, I guess they're getting influenced by new technology, but they're mostly playing the same way they were playing. We lose that history a little bit. And they kept making, like, a lot of these people kept making recordings. And we just, you know, like, you, if you really love that music, then you go deep into that music. But if not, you're kind of like, that's the era, then I don't worry about it anymore. Sure. And then after the fact, whoever they decide to write books yeah. about, mm -hmm. then we maybe get to hear the rest of their story even past that era. But even then, I But maybe. Like, like, yeah. Usually it gets not. edited out. Yeah. It's and true. And it's, it makes sense, because like, on the one hand, I'm like, this is a problem, and it's especially glaring as a problem when we're talking about people like Erin Kitchings or Lil Armstrong, right? Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, that's how we consume stuff, right? You know, if mm -hmm. I'm going to listen to something that's representative of the swing era, I'm probably going to listen to the stuff that was representative of it during the swing era, not in the 1950s, when those people were just still playing. Sure. But it was less, you know, yeah. I think the problem lies in, with Irene Kitchings, and with so many of the, like, songwriters in particular that we end up playing, there are so many jazz history books where yeah. they flat out say there weren't many women writing music. Right. And they're absolutely were yeah. and they contributed songs that people know today it's just right. no one knows them yeah and that's the real problem i mean yeah, they have definitely. made massive contributions but when you're reading jazz history you're only going to read about louis armstrong you're not going to read about lil's contribution right and it I, I mean that's starting to happen more and more now mm -hmm. but it's still i mean just as i said lil is a particular instance yes. that's not who we're talking about yeah, but yeah. like anytime you talk about lil if it's a talk about Louie and Lil, it's 90% Louie, 10% Lil, which mm -hmm. is not a fair, not a fair breakdown mm -hmm. if the talk is about Louie and Lil. Yeah, for sure. What is this going to get us? Where are we heading in? When do we start to live, dear? When do we really begin? So then, to get it back to kind of Irene Kitchings, I, I think the frustrating thing about reading about her and thinking about her life is that it's somebody who could have been potentially a big part of the story of jazz, right? Absolutely. And so why wasn't she, right? Because she just, you know, she isn't. 
And even if you account for all the songs that she composed, right? She still isn't. It's a couple yeah. songs, right? But she clearly had the talent and like was in this world where like she kind of could have been, if not for a variety of factors. And so it's discouraging to see the factors that went into her not being part of that because the tunes are great. There's clearly something there. And like you said, she people clearly liked her and liked her playing early in her career. So yeah, it's just kind of a loss. Like the music's better if her and the people like her are a part of it more, I think. Yeah, I think the biggest parts of her, we should probably go a little further into her story. So mm-hmm. she played at clubs that no one's ever heard of at this point. <laughs> Um, including the University of Chicago. They have a great list of, like, yes. the old jazz clubs, and I checked, and, like, Vogue is not on there. Yeah. Um, I don't think Cottage Cafe was either. But um, Or the bookstore. It's like, yeah. what is the bookstore? Yeah, know. that's a great name for a club, yeah, too. true. But she was a part of a group called the Three Classy Misses, and they were all kind of the phrase that I hate, great women standing behind mm-hmm. great men mm. um, and supporting great men. They were all significant others or wives of famous jazz musicians that you now know. Oh, I didn't realize the other two were. The Three Classy Misses, which was another one. So Irene Edie, I found five mm-hmm. different spellings of her name. Yeah. Five. And then the Three Classy Misses was also the Three Classes of Misses. <laughs> oh, yeah. So Catherine Perry was Earl Hines' wife. Okay. Eloise B. Scott, I'm not sure if she was a wife of a famous jazz musician, but... For sure, Catherine Perry was Earl Hines' wife. And I think they went as a, another band name before that, too. So tons mm-hmm. of names that made it hard to look her up. How yeah. did you find the other names for the band? Did, did you just try different like iterations, or did you just happen across? It was mostly typing in different iterations of her name mm-hmm. and seeing what came up on the newspapers, yeah. like newspapers.com articles and stuff. And... Uh, the Chicago Defender Archives has a ton of stuff. Yep. So those came up. And then cool. anytime there's like a mention of a sense. name, you try that name. And okay, cool. I think I tried Catherine Perry, Eloise B. Scott, <laughs> just to see what popped up afterwards. Yeah, it was particularly, like I'm into the obscure stuff and this was particularly <laughs> challenging. Yeah, the name yeah. thing is actually just kind of crazy. I think that contributes to, I think a huge part of why, a huge part of, her story that I find sad. Mm-hmm. So she, when she moved to Chicago, she ended up meeting Teddy Wilson when he was in town. Mm-hmm. And they like had a real rapid love affair right. and got married like very shortly after meeting. Yeah, it, I, it wasn't the way she put it. Like I invited him over to play piano sometime and it just kind of went quickly from there. Yeah. It's like, that's a really <laughs> funny way of saying that cool yeah she was like i have a place with a piano yeah exactly and then and we were married we're together. yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so she got married to him eventually they moved to new york because he was uh playing with there's benny carter's connection benny carter uh-huh. had heard him but i think he actually moved to new york to be a part of the benny goodman trio he may have moved there for Benny Carter's group, I think that's what it was. And then, and then he yeah. joined the... Well, and at that time, he was already... Like, he was in New York a lot, right? Yeah. Because his producer was putting... Just was putting him with vocalists. They were like, this guy is great. Let's get him with all the popular vocalists and all the popular band leaders as quickly as we can. So I think he was he was already, like, very much in demand in that area. But I think, yeah, Benny Carter is, I think, the band that he, like, theoretically moved for. While he was in New York, his 
mom decided that mm-hmm. it wasn't appropriate for a woman to be playing gigs in clubs. Right. So she put a stop to that, and Kitchings gave up all of her work. Yeah. Were you able to find her, like, talking about that at length? I wasn't either. Not at all. And that's yeah. another one where it's like, I would have liked to have known how yeah, she just... felt about that. Like, was she totally yeah. cool with it? or Because it's possible. I think women of the mm-hmm. time, even with her background, yeah. accepted their fate as mm-hmm. there are two things I could do. I could get mm-hmm. married and have kids, yeah. or I could become a secretary. And if I were given those two options, <laughs> I mean, I you know, I can see being like, okay, I have to give it all up. Mm-hmm. I can see it also making you totally miserable the rest of your life. But I think women yeah. were resigned to that fate from an early age. Yeah, it's just too bad no one asked her. Right. It just would it'd be interesting to know. Yeah. Because maybe she did. Maybe she was tired of it. Yeah, maybe that's she was tired I, of definitely the true. Yeah, and maybe, yeah, maybe she was just like liked being a part of this world and was happy to just kind of like be around the musicians and hear the music and didn't feel like she needed to be playing for a little while. And yeah, I don't know. And we may never. But maybe know. she really hated it because probably she really hated it. I don't know. Yeah. On some level. Well, so then Teddy Wilson runs off with a chorus girl and breaks mm-hmm. her heart. She's destroyed by it. And she had put it in there, like, she just had this, she had to deal with the emotions from that. Mm -hmm. And that's why she started writing those tunes. Right. Ghost of yesterday Stalking round my room All night long you stay Walk around in profound gloom When the darkness falls When I've gone to bed Quickly come your calls Mournfully, scornfully Body of love I strangled Pulsing heart I thought was gone Give no peace Will not cease Prowling round till dawn And she had become friends with Billie Holiday through mm-hmm. Teddy Wilson's working with Billie Holiday. Right. Um, I also thought it was interesting that she basically discovered Carmen McRae when she was a teenager. Yeah, that was interesting. And that, like, 16-year-old Carmen McRae would just, like, follow her around everywhere. Yeah. So she's connected with all of these great musicians, and Carmen McRae's coming in and, like, playing stuff, because she played piano, too. Right. And then she was, like, singing stuff, kind of, like, demoing songs for Billie to hear. Yeah, well, so that's why I'm especially annoyed we don't get to hear about her, like, giving up music. Because don't you think she probably didn't give up music? She's, like, she's around all these musicians. She discovers Carmen McRae, which it seems like means, like, she was like, you know, this person's going to be great. She's following me around. She's interacting with me. I'm like, she was playing music on some level, right? Or she was at least involved with it. 
and thinking about it deeply. So again, like, we're just like, oh, she gave up playing piano. That's like the like one line sentence. But actually, she's in New York. They moved there in 1934, right? And Teddy Wilson divorces her in like 37, 38. It was hard to find an exact date. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I never did find an exact date. So it's four years where I'm just like, what what was she doing for four years, right? Right. Because they didn't have a kid. Right. Teddy Wilson was on the road a lot. Is she on the road with him? Is she just in New York, like, hanging out with musicians, right? She becomes friends with Billie Holiday. Right. seems like pretty close friends. So what is she doing during that time? I don't think it's as simple as her mother-in-law said no more music, so she stopped playing piano. And Yeah, people are more complex than just, like, the one sentence you could write about what they were doing at that time, right? And totally. Yeah, we just, we don't know. Because no one asked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Billie hears her tunes. Mm-hmm. I think first, I think that's another Benny Carter. Okay. Benny Carter first heard her playing the tunes and he was like, play that again. Mm-hmm. And she played it again. He was like, play that again. And he was like really taken by the tune. Yeah. And so then Billy ended up hearing it and she took it into Arthur Herzog, who she'd been mm-hmm. writing tunes with for a while. And he decided to write lyrics to it. Mm-hmm. And he had nothing but high praise for Kitchings as well. He had said, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have to change a note to make my lyrics work with hers, which never happened with That's cool. songwriters. Yeah, so she wrote, and I ended up finding, I finally figured out. So the card catalog that's online for the Library of Congress, I had tried many combinations of her name, mm-hmm. and it finally dawned on me, the one that I thought of the least, because she was that name for the shortest mm-hmm. period of time, was Irene Wilson. Yeah, of course. And of course, she was still using his name. She hadn't gotten remarried right. at that point. Mm-hmm. There's like nine or ten tunes. I, I made a list. Yeah. But that's... That's it? It. Oh, not even. Well, it's, it makes eight. sense too, right? It seems like she started writing tunes after this divorce. Mm-hmm. And then she eventually moves, right? So she's writing tunes kind of as a way to like process what's happening. She's in this space, but she's not really hearing them performed nightly she's Mm -hmm. not performing them no she started getting sick at that point right so it makes sense that she's like this is what i did during that period and then that's it yeah Yeah. then she went on to this whole another stage of her life that doesn't really have much to do with music yeah and so we only have this one snapshot but the tunes are great if you'd stay the way i dream about you You'd be near every moment, dear, but daydreams fly and time slips by so very much alone am I. But if you'd stay the way I dream about you, you'd express Longing tenderness But when we meet Although you're sweet If you love me You're not confessing Yeah, so to wrap up her life story, she moved to Cleveland again Mm -hmm. to stay with that aunt, and it was supposed to be temporary just while she recovered, but she ended up meeting a man there. Eldon Kitchings, 
who was the Ohio State Youth Commissioner. And she got married shortly after that, and I think was diagnosed with Eels disease mm-hmm. at about that time. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting. She talked about when she was with Wilson, Teddy Wilson, she remembered riding around in a car with, uh, Teddy would drive uh, Tatum mm-hmm. yeah. around in the car because they were worried about him driving himself because he was losing his eyesight. Right. Um, and she said she didn't, she never imagined herself in that place. And then that's, yeah, it's one of the things Eels disease does. Yeah. Which, ugh. Yeah. But it sounds like there was a treatment for that, and I thought it was super sad. There's these articles yeah. from 1951 where she finally sold some other spring. She mm-hmm. it never had been sold to a publishing house. Right. And well, the reasons were interesting too, right? So the reason that was listed in in one of the articles is that the publishing houses. Do you remember the exact word? The idea was basically like these tunes are like too refined. It was like they're not. They weren't simple enough, but they also weren't, like, classical enough either. Yeah, and honestly, that kind of makes sense to me for the way that the publishing music worked at was the time. used. Yeah, absolutely. Like, people were using it to play around the piano at home for fun, and yep. the tunes are complicated. Yeah. They're not straightforward tunes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, so there was an interest when she's writing these tunes, even though they're getting performed by people like Billie Holiday, there was an interest in buying the tunes and turning them into sheet music. I think there obviously would have been if any of those Billie Holiday recordings had been like huge hits. Right. But kind of at those time, at that time, Billie Holiday's output is like hits, but mm-hmm. not none of them are like breaking through to that next level. And I think this kind of falls into that same category, especially because mm-hmm. these songs are like sad and complicated and yeah, slow, nice, yeah, but. They're not like, oh, we'll just give this to somebody to play it on piano. We can make money off of that really quickly. Well, and it was an era of music where I read uh, Milt Gabler had said Billy was really picking her own mm-hmm. tunes at that time. She was at that yes. point in her career. And she liked to do tunes by people that mm-hmm. weren't well known yet. She, Definitely. she liked giving them a chance to be heard. Mm-hmm. And then you put on top of that that her and Kitchings were like good friends. Yeah. Like there's quotes in a lot of Billy Holiday books that are from, they're some of the only quotes from Iron Kitchings, mm-hmm. um, and they're about talking about what Billy was going through at the time. Right. So they were good friends, which is another reason why it is shocking that her career didn't, didn't have more to it. Well, I think Billy was somebody who the media and then historians like really kind of boxed into a thing, and I don't think their relationship had a space in that box yeah right you're like tortured artist that's right. Billie Holiday right oh yeah never and really got the recognition she deserved even though she's like the greatest but struggled with you know so much pain from her childhood and adult life and you hear that in her voice and it's like hey, you want to just talk to one of her friends about what it was like no 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 tortured yeah. artist we're cool we got all the information we need you hear it when she sings well, and probably made worse by the fact that, I mean, just today, it's still a little bit of a struggle to see female friendships in any sort of yeah, it's media. Yeah, True. So a female friendship for Billie Holiday is, like, unheard of. Mm-hmm. We, we can only talk about the, you know, boyfriends that beat her. That's, yeah, exactly. That's the only place we have for Billie. Yep. When I thought that hope was really gone, you showed me I was wrong. 
just because of you I'd do the same for you if your turn came Hope it never will for I've been through the mill I won't forget this debt I'm pulling through Very interesting. But yeah, I think that kind of, that's a good summary. Anything that we missed? Well, I know you definitely want to talk about the confusion. Oh, right. So I've been researching pretty extensively Irene Higginbotham, and there has been, there have been so many articles where anytime they talk about either of these Irenes, they talk about both of the Irenes mm -hmm. because there was a mistake made that has been replicated over and over again. Mm -hmm. Confusing the two Irenes. On one of the Decca records, right? I traced it back. The earliest mention I could find was liner notes to a Decca collection yeah. of Billie Holiday Which tunes. basically combines them into one person. Yes. Right? Yeah, there's Where a single like, sentence. This is by... Basically, the two have been confused. And anyone who looks into their story at all would see that they are very clearly different people. Yeah. <laughs> like, the only thing they had in common was their first name, and they wrote music. Right. They were black women um, at this era, but Kitchings is, like, a decade older than Higginbotham, mm -hmm. and um, really a totally different era of music at the time. A, a different part of Billy's career, lived in totally different cities, I mean, just very clearly different stories, so... Yeah, okay, I found it. So, okay. the author on the Decca recording said that Good Morning Heartache and No Good Man, both Irene Higginbotham tunes, mm -hmm. were written by Irene Higginbotham, the former wife of Teddy Wilson, whose song Some Other Spring had been recorded by Billy in 1939. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, no, obviously. Right. <laughs> But that single mistake has been replicated by the over New York Times. Mm -hmm. It's been replicated by a ton of different authors online. And all I can figure is everyone needs a better editor. Yeah. Like, how did no one double check this? Mm -hmm. That they were totally mashing those two. Also the fact that like there are songwriters from this era that you can't find a photo for. Right. You can totally find a photo for each of these women mm -hmm. pretty easily. And I know some of this was before. Like that initial mistake and several of the subsequent articles were pre-internet having as much information as it does right now. Um, okay, Glenn Gibson. But oh, I think that is Higginbotham, That is right? Higginbotham, and yeah. that's debatable. Okay, cool. Yeah. Joe Davis, his wife also used that pseudonym. Yeah. And I'm not even sure. There's so much... There's a there's a lack of clarity yeah, yeah. on a cutoff date or if there actually was a shared... Cool. It could have been all Irene's music. It could have right. been all his wife's music. So it, yeah, but then I did find something that was saying that was a Kitchings pseudonym too, which is like yeah, it just all gets conflated, and that just it's just because of this one mistake essentially. Yes. And and also like laziness. Right. Yeah. It's referred to as the mystery of the two Irenes quite yeah. often. And the mystery is that it keeps getting treated as if yeah, it was exactly. a reasonable mistake. It wasn't. Yeah, I think one article I read about it was like, this historian cracked the case. I was like, what case? They were just different people. Yeah. Uh, this guy got it wrong. Yeah, exactly. It's, you could actually like figure it out. Although, I was thinking, it was probably kind of hard to figure out before she sells the publishing rights to the songs. Because then there's not as clear... 
uh, a like paper trail, right? It's still easy to figure out. No, those uh, copyright. She submitted those songs for so the copyright. Co- okay, paper cool. Trail so then that should have been. Yeah. Then yeah, it just doesn't make. It wasn't sense. published, but there's a copyright there a card copyright. for the unpublished. Yeah, and that's really kind of inexcusable. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, because I totally forgot, and that is absolutely something I wanted to cover. Yes, they're really crazy. <laughs> there were so, if there were so few women, you would think you could cover them a little more carefully. Yeah. Pay a little more attention to those distinct, those little yeah. minute details of being two separate people. Yeah. Anything else, kitchens-wise, that we missed or need to... No, I don't think so. I think it's like I'd recommend to people to check out her songs. I think you have a list of them if you want to... I do. Um, and most, I mean, kind of the main recorder of them is Billy. Yeah. And some of them I couldn't find. And there, yeah. What was the one? There's a reference to that you had brought Yeah. Up. So I was reading this uh, collection of Billy Holiday interviews, and she is kind of like waxing poetic about how some songs are like too beautiful to be really appreciated, which is kind of entertaining to read. And she mentions that there's this one song by Irene Kitchings Mm -hmm. that falls into that category. Yeah, so she says, the song Nothing Ever Happens is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life. Teddy Wilson's wife, Irene Wilson wrote it. She got inspired one night when we were all playing up there and then she you know she just talks about how it's so beautiful but like it because it was sort of too beautiful it never got to see the light of day but there's you couldn't find anything I could, it, right? what was I the could, title again it was uh nothing ever happens and that would have been before any of the maybe she never submitted it to well me. so and this is again what i mean about like was she really not playing or composing music because that sounds like it could have been while her and Teddy were together together, or it could have been after it's just it's hard to say but yeah there's no reference to that at all which and no recording of it which yeah I mean that's pretty high praise the most beautiful song I've ever heard yeah from Billie Holiday yeah there's no recording of it at all no recording when I walk down the street people I meet look as dull as some old night but a dancer is sure, don't help me, I know, and it's one, one heck of a life. Nothing ever happens, I don't know what I'll do. So to bed at ten, to dream, dream again of you. Yeah, there was one I found from, uh, and maybe this is it, it's called This Is The Moment? It was from 1939, it would have been the earliest one yeah. that I found a... Did you find music for it? No, okay. I just found the copyright card, but it was cool. submitted through Irving Berlin Incorporated, which is different than huh. the other, all of her other uh, okay. tunes.
little bit. So what is your personal nerd mountain, the thing that you geek out about? Oh yeah, I forgot about <laughs> this aspect. I don't think I have like a great one, unfortunately. It's, it's mostly just bass. Um, <laughs> that's a pretty big nerd mountain. I think Yeah, that's but it's like sort of boring to talk about. I guess I could, during the... I've always liked cooking a lot. Okay. I think during the like kind of more shut down parts of the pandemic, that was a thing I had more time to like actually nerd out about. Um, so I guess, yeah, maybe cooking somewhat. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we won't get too in-depth into it then. That's probably, But you yeah. do have a new project coming out. Yeah, that's true. Um, I guess that's something I kind of nerd out about. Uh, so I have this 10-piece band uh, that performs my arrangements of uh, compositions by Charles Mingus. And Mingus is definitely somebody who I've like gone pretty in depth on in their life and then like studying their music. Um, so these arrangements kind of reflect hopefully uh, what I hear in his music and the project is kind of a way to connect more with that music, which I've spent a lot of time with and a lot of time thinking about. So that band will be releasing an album on August 26th uh, this summer. have this edited before then so that's nice perfect big win <laughs> excellent well thanks so much for joining me on the podcast yeah thanks for having me yeah sources for this episode include american women in jazz 1900 to present by sally plaxon the world of earl hines by stanley dance articles from the pittsburgh courier washington ch record herald lancaster new era Dayton Daily News, the Charlotte Observer, the Atlanta Constitution, and the California Eagle. If you liked this episode, like and subscribe, and leave a review on iTunes. If you really liked this episode, support us on Patreon.